Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning. Our Bible reading is taken from Psalm 19. At the end of the reading, I'll end it by saying, This is the word of the Lord, and you're all to respond. Thanks be to God. Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out in all, in all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The, Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The, st- the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The percepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alheri. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your kindness to us in seeing this day. We thank you for your mercy in revealing yourself to us such that we can call ourselves sons and daughters of the Most High God. We thank you for the lengths you went to find us, Lord. And as we consider how to listen to you more and more, Lord, we pray that you turn and tune every heart, Lord, towards heaven that we may be comforted by your word, that we may be shaped, Heavenly Father, that we may come to know you as King of kings and Lord Most High. For in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning again. Um, We're starting a new series, like I said earlier today, on uh, the Lord's voice. And um, typically, we, and as the, the title sort of implies, there's something about us as human beings 
wanting to be connected to the divine, looking for direction for our lives. Um, we, we desire to hear from God. And part of our Christian uh, sort of experience in Lagos here is that um, many are seeking for, for direction, and we usually turn to different sources in finding uh, that direction, in finding that guidance, in finding uh, one way to tell us where we should go. And that's, that's natural, that's human. We want to know, like I said, that we're connected. We want to know that we're not abandoned here. If God did not come to speak to us, if we did not know that we're part of something larger, we'd be like orphans. We would wonder uh, what we look like, what our parents look like. Think of an orphan um, going through life, no matter how good or difficult their lives are, they continue to wonder if their lives could be better. They continue to wonder where their origin uh, where the origins are from. They continue to, if they fall ill, they wonder if it's a congenital, uh, something that they, uh, genetical sort of disease. Uh, and we want to be connected to something bigger than us. We want to know why we are created. We want to know what we are created for. Uh, we want to know how we would live our lives in time. So the issue of guidance as to should I turn left, should I turn right, as we've seen here before. For those who have gifts or talents, uh, you wonder how should I best use them. Many things we want to know, why we want to hear from the Lord. And for some of us who are a bit more uh, reflective, we also want to know why human beings are so evil. Why there's so much evil? I mean, what explains how much evil there is in the world while the same set of human beings are capable of so much good? Why is a serial killer so loving to his mother? Some say yes, because he gave birth to him. That's not the case. Many people are not serial killers who don't give a hoot about their mothers. Why are people capable of such extremes of, of, of evil and good? Why are you, in spite of your desire to submit to good, why is there evil thoughts, actions, patterns in your life? Why can't you follow the straight road, down the straight road for a long time? In spite of all what your heart uh, that you, you has declared and submitted to the Lord. How, why, how was the universe created? The things, so the things that are existential to us about the world around us that we wonder um, about. Some of those things, we think through them, we come to some understanding, some understanding by intuition, some of it through nature, through science, through interrogation, through studies over centuries. Uh, many experts sort of have some answers out there uh, for us. But some things are too big to be answered by scientists. Why should I expect uh, my spouse to be monogamous. So I, I mean, I'm happy I got married. Why should my spouse be faithful to me? Is there any, when, when scientists sometimes even say, give contradictory uh, data and say, you know, human beings are not meant to be, you know, a man is meant to go out there and sow his wild oats. They're silent on what the women are supposed to be sowing. Um, but why? Why should, why, why should I expect that? Why is that an expectation? Why is same-sex attraction or same-sex relationships, why, are they, why do some people say it's an abomination? Why do we think it's not part of the normal design? Who answers, who gives us that answer? Will science answer that for us? Will nature teach us that? Can we, can we find out just uh, by, on our own and by ourselves? And why should I care? Someone says, why should I care about those questions? Uh, um, I'll figure out what I can in my heart. I'll follow my heart as best as I can, I'll listen to some of the experts, and then, you know, anything else, uh, you know, the world can go to blazes. So there are many things that arise that wants us, that requires us to uh, figure, that, that makes us desire to hear from some, 
thing someone authoritative, someone with knowledge, someone that has knowledge beyond what we have, what we see here on earth. And that's what this series is about. Looking through several scriptures and through several themes, um, we'll be looking at um, this series in four unique, four topics. So we'll be looking at the Lord's voice is special. We'll be talking about, and that's what we'll be treating today, we'll be talking about the Lord's voice is authoritative next week. Uh, the upper week we'll be looking at the Lord's voice is transformative. And then finally, uh, the last week of May, we'll be looking at the Lord's voice is supreme. Right, so to today we're talking about how uh, the Lord's voice is special, unique. Uh, and I'll give some context for that. So we see in scripture, and maybe some of us intuit a little bit, that we have a creator God uh, who decides to speak to all of his creation, right? Uh, God, or wherever it is that created this universe, um, we see signs that he doesn't want to be hidden. He actually wants people to know him, but not just know him, to come to him, and not just come to him, to understand him, to understand his essence, to understand his divinity. God has an affinity for human beings. We see a God, who, a creator God who is relational, so to speak, right? And in spite of the difference between this God who created everything, if you can look at the universe, we'll come to that in a little bit, and think of how that God must be very different from me, finite that I am, uh, yet God wants me uh, to come to know him. We see a God that says that he wants us to see his glory. We see that in scriptures many times. He wants people to see his glory. And we wonder, does he want me to just wonder at that glory, to contrast it with my frailty and be crushed and bow down to him? Or is it that he wants me to appreciate his strength so that I can depend on him and so that my frailty will not end up killing me or taking me to where I don't want to go? Why does this God wants us to see his glory? We wonder why sometimes. Uh, uh, does he want us to see his power so that we can appreciate his kindness and his care over us? We see a God in scripture that wants us to worship him. He wants to rescue us from uh, sin. A lot of it will explore down the line. Uh, he wants us to awaken, to have this new life. We, we have a sense that our lives are not optimal. That there's a sense in which, uh, you, no matter how good you have it in life, that your life could be better. There's a sense that uh, human, humanity has. And so we, we're, we're driven to seeking this better place, this better life, this better way of thinking, this, this better thing, right? And that's because God wants to infuse us with this a renewed sense of, um, to awaken us to new life in him. For those who... Who have, ever, who, has ever, who have ever been in this sort of existential crisis, you've thought about, why am I here on earth? Um, if you, I, don't, I don't know if I have any identity, so maybe I'm finding my identity in the fact that I belong to some social group or I come from one ethnic group or I have money and all that. Uh, but in spite of it all, there's a sense of identity that we're all looking for. What is my purpose here on earth? We're looking for that. Um, and so the, 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 the truth is that if the human race were to be an orphan, if we were orphaned, we'll be disconnected from our origin. If we're disconnected from our source, we'll struggle to identify a reason for us to live. And many people have reached that point. So, um, so this argument for uh, end of year, end of life discussion. So if somebody is sick, if it's over their 50, over 50 or 60, and is, uh, has some illness that is treatable, but maybe it's long drawn, they're like, ah, why are you hanging around? Well, what's, the point? what's the point of this? You're, you know, just turn off the machine end that life. Or a, a child, and we've seen two cases like that in the UK this year, um, a child has some disease, it's painful, it's horrible to watch, T 
turn it off. What's, I mean, why, why, why should that child just suffer? You know, there's, there's no point to life. If life is not pleasant, if life is, um, is, is I, don't want to, I don't want to call those kind of illnesses just unpleasant. If life is horrible to some extent, uh, you have a disease, you have something that is really, really difficult for you to live with, because there's no purpose to life, scientists are saying, well, just turn off the machine and move on. And that's where we get to if we don't orient ourselves to God and how God wants us to see life. And without a connection with God, without an understanding of who God is and why, you know, why we are here, we descend into this unimaginable wickedness because we place no value on human life. We place no value on people's um, dreams, hopes, and all that. We crush it, right? And so as we go along, uh, some of the questions you, you, that you should be asked or that maybe that you've asked, uh, maybe you should come to the fore. Why, why, why are we, why do we see such evil? Most people take those questions and point at the Lord and say, um, I cannot believe a God. I find it hard to believe in a God who allows such evil to exist on earth. And then when we search scripture, we actually see that it's because we're disconnected from this God. That's the reason why we can perpetrate unimaginable wickedness and evil on one another. And so I will explain some of uh, what we're talking about on the three uh, topics, on the three headings. The nature, so we're talking about the Lord's voice is special, and I'm going to contract the special revelation of God with general revelation. So we're talking about, first of all, the nature of general revelation, the nature of special revelation, and then the blessings of special revelation. So in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 20, um, the Bible says that, all the things that can be known of God, his divine power, his divine power and his, his, sorry, his eternal power and his divine nature is seen in all of nature. It can be seen of God. It's there. You cannot look into nature and not agree with what, what uh, uh, Harry read for us in the book of Psalms, that all of creation declares the glory of God. All of creation shows his power, right? Uh, if you think about how the universe was created, and if we're not going to believe uh, some unprovable theory that the world existed out of nothing, we know it actually existed from nothing, but that nothing caused that something. If, we're not, if you don't believe those kind of theories, you have to agree to some extent, I mean to a large extent, that some, somebody, something, somebody caused it. And whoever caused that thing is... Is wonderful, is mighty, is awesome, right? So just looking at nature, the fact of creation tells us that this God is glorious, that this God is uh, magnificent, that God is awe-inspiring. The universe acknowledges this glory of God unceasingly, says day after day, night after night. The universe speaks silently. It doesn't actually utter any words. It doesn't use any speech. Yet, this unveiling of who God is, or at least his divine power and his nature, uh, uh, comes out of all of creation. And that message reaches everything in all of creation. He uses the illustration of the sun. As the sun uh, rises from the east and, cover and goes and sets in the west, he says, there is nothing that is hidden from its, wa its warmth. So there's something to be known about. There's something about God's attribute that even if you didn't see a vision, if you didn't dream dreams, even if you didn't, you know, you would know that God exists. You know that God is awesome, that God is powerful, and this God is divine. And so science is, uh, or nature, is what uh, uh, theologians refer to as general revelation. Something given to everyone, regardless of where you live 
or what time you existed. Whether you were born in the year 1000 BC or you are going to come in year 2050, if the Lord tarries till then, right? You'll be able to see the witness of God in nature, in creation, in science, right? And we contrast that with special revelation where it is specific information to specific people and perhaps in specific times. So uh, the people who did not, uh, who were not alive or who had passed on before Jesus came would not have seen the book of Acts written, for example. They wouldn't have seen the book of the epistles written. They wouldn't have seen the New Testament written. They may have seen the old, uh, the Pentateuch and all that, but they wouldn't have seen it. So it's special because it's given to a set of people in a particular context in a particular time. But regardless, this thing that is given to all of humanity in all generations is God's way of assuring that nobody, that every, that nobody can uh, exist on this planet or have come through existence and say that I didn't get a chance to know God. I didn't get a chance to interact with somebody that, is, that created us. And modern science, in actual fact, does not diminish uh, God's witness. It, it actually exacerbates it. Uh, people may deny it, but every, uh, science shows us the evidence that there is a creator God. Uh, the brilliant man of science, Isaac Newton, said, this most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. So all these invisible qualities, omnipotence has power to do all things, uh, his creator glory or his divine nature, which means God, God's infinity. So if, if God, if the universe is, how do they measure space and time? Light years, how many light years? I didn't study it. If the universe is massively expand, expansive, massively expansive, it makes sense that the person who created the universe created it while he was outside the universe. Does that make sense? But if the person who created the universe is greater than the universe, he must also be inside the universe. And so uh, theologians talk about uh, God's immanence, meaning that he fills all the space that can exist, which is why the psalmist would say, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there with me. There is no space that God doesn't fill. Uh, but at the same time, no space can contain him. So theologians say he's transcendent, meaning he's, he's in the space where he's above the space. So it's almost as if the universe is inside him rather than it, there's just no way to, for my small brain to com completely comprehend it all. So God's omnipotence, his divine nature, his transcendence, his immanence, his eternity, because he existed before the universe was created, his immortality, um, to, uh, scientists say that, um, that the world, the universe might end in a big crash. We don't know when. It's still expanding. They say the expanding is slowing down. And once it slows down, then the energy forces will start pulling it together until everything comes together in one big crash. I don't know when that's going to happen. But if that universe crashes, uh, the creator God will not crash with the universe. Will he? Will he? No, he can't because he's, he's outside of that. And then we also see... Other signs, other attributes, God's goodness, God's providential care, how he sustains the planet, and his patience with sinners. Bible says he causes the rain to fall on the good and on the evil. And Acts, uh, 14, 15 to, Acts chapter 14, 15, 17 says, he shows us kindness by giving us rain, giving us plenty of food, and filling us with joy. So, so we know something about God. And the whole point of knowing something about God is, as uh, Paul said, is so that uh, we may seek him. So he says God has placed each and every one of us um, in, in wherever, wherever context, whatever times, whatever families that we're born so that we may seek him and perhaps find him. So 
God's general revelation is found in nature, uh, and science investigates that. The second way in which we get God's general, uh, or general revelation about God is through our conscience. So in Romans chapter 2, 14 to 15, um, Paul says that when Gentiles, so Paul was having an argument about who is a real Jew, who is a real Gentile, who actually belongs to the Lord, who doesn't belong to the Lord. Is this someone who um, has gone through the rites of circumcision and is born into this, uh, the Lord's chosen people? Or is it these Gentiles who are outside of that commonwealth of Israel, but they do things that are in accord with uh, God's uh, law, God's spirit? So he says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. So it says the law is written on their hearts, and when they do wrong, their thoughts, they, do, they don't have God's law, but when they do something wrong, their thoughts will say, you have done something wrong. And when somebody, or when they want to abstain from evil, and other people falsely accuse them, or want to, want to push them to do that wrong, their thoughts will defend them. Their consciences tell them, this is wrong, and, it, and say, don't do it, or it tells them, this is right, hold on to your ground. And these are people who don't have the law of God, right? And that's because we are God's creation, and so we bear, even though we are, we, we carry, we're, we're created in God's image, the Bible says in Genesis, but we fail. But we carry, so the way it is described is that we're broken, we carry a broken image of God in, inside of us, but it's still an image. It's still the reason why, uh, conscience is still the reason why you and I, before we got saved, were not as bad as we wanted to be, Right? Because like we talk about depravity, there's nothing you and I could not do. I mean, there's really, really nothing from murder to rape to whatever you think is the worst crime or sin, right? That is happening on your campus, that is happening in your workplace, happening in the world today. There is no human being that is not capable of descending that low. But the witness of God in conscience, and if that, con if that conscience is nurtured by parents, by governments, by teachers, by, by a community right, that, that sort of uh, tunes that conscience, then we are, we're prevented from doing our worst, so to speak. However, as we move on in life and we uh, disagree or disobey that conscience uh, or disobey that voice, whatever it is that God has placed inside us, we become hardened to it and we begin to become worse and worse. And so even atheists and agnostics will appeal to conscience, right? And atheist says there's no God, uh, I don't believe there's any, uh, you know, any God outside of us that tells us or that tells us what's right or wrong. But yet, uh, if you ask an atheist to come up with rules for society in order for us to live peaceable and godly lives, he'll come up with things like we shouldn't kill one another. That's kind of basic, right? Um, if you ask him to think a little bit more, he'll say, yeah, we should not take each other's property without permission. I shall not steal. Um, what else? Can we go and grab a wife from our next door? Say, ah, no, no, we can't just be grabbing women or men, as the case may be. So you're like, okay, so we respect men and we, our, our boundaries. What else? Is it okay if I lie? No, it's not. And white lie, shall but but anyway, leave that one alone. And then the, even the atheist, even the agnostic, can come up with a set of rules that'll be very, very close to what the Ten Commandments. Uh, he will remove Sabbath. He wants to play golf. Um, not 
be faithful to your wife. He will affirm it because the wife is there. Uh, but, you know, with, when he's with his boy, it's like, ah, he will go back to the scientists. Say, we're not born, we know we're not just born to be monogamous. I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I'm, a, I'm an animal, right? <laughs> so, you know, he appeals to, he, he appeal to something else when he, uh, he doesn't feel like. But he himself will come up with rules and, and, and laws that come very close to uh, the, the Ten Commandments, God's written uh, moral code, right? And so Paul says that we are judged in how we respond to God's revelation. So again, when people say that, ah, what happens to people who, you know, you know, this gospel thing, you Christians, you're a bit unfair. What happens to people who died without ever, without ever what? Hearing the gospel. And Paul says, yeah, they'll be judged on how they responded to the revelation of God in nature and in their conscience. If they lived like Gentiles who saw in nature God or who saw in conscience the moral law of God and they live in accordance to the law, says then God will judge them according to that. It says, according to my gospel. And for those of us who heard, when you get to heaven, on what basis is Christ judging you? Right? The Bible says, God in his mercy was not counting their sins against them. See, that's all. It's not that you don't have sins. It's not that there's no record of your sins. It's all there. But, you know, it's, it's there. It's not, it, but it, it's that because of Jesus Christ, God in his mercy will not count those sins against us. Right? So, that's an answer for those who say, uh, at least that's one kind of answer for those who say uh, the Christianity is unfair, the gospel is unfair. However, as we willfully suppress the knowledge of God, uh, the sense of our conscience, well, we begin to lose it. And atheists who don't give God worship, agnostics who ignore God, and religious folks who pay lip service to God, they're all in the same boat, right? Each one of them will have seared consciences and will store up for themselves wrath on the last day. And all of them will be without excuse. Now, the purpose of this general revelation, I said before, uh, is that when we see God in creation, we know that it's made by God and it reflects something about God. Uh, the purpose is that we would have an awareness of what's right or wrong. And the blessing for, of general revelation for humanity is that it tells us that we're created to worship. We draw near to beauty. We draw near to nature. We draw near. We, our heart is, is, we get to know that I am little. Something out there is big. So it sort of prepares our heart to worship when we encounter God in a more concentrated way. It also preserves our society. So for moral reasons, uh, when it preserves moral good in us and in our society so that we don't destroy ourselves and kill ourselves, uh, we can preserve society until the time when we actually then encounter um, God in a more concentrated way. So that's the blessing for it. But general, uh, general revelation is limited. It does a lot for humanity. But like the psalmist says, can nature show you where your hidden faults are? Can, can nature, can science, can conscience show you how our Redeemer spoiled Satan and delivered us from the power of darkness? It can't. Can it, can it tell us how God used the foolishness of the cross to spoil the powers of darkness? It can't tell us to break us free, to grant us forgiveness. It can't. So nature, while wonderful as it is, has its own limitations. We can't get all we need from it. And so that brings me to my second point, the nature of special revelation. The nature of special revelation. Now, where, where I said where uh, general revelation is available to all peoples in every generation, um, 
that's good. People come to get an awareness of who God is. But God speaks to people or to humanity, especially in about six ways. He speaks to us through angels uh, and the, uh, the number of scriptures we have. But um, Manoah, when an angel appeared to him, uh, an angel appeared to Abraham, Moses, all through scripture we see uh, angels appearing to, to men. Uh, sometimes it appears in the form of a man to Jacob. Um, God speaks through the prophets in the Old Testament, right? We would hear that um, they would give instructions. They would say, the Lord spoke to me and said, right? So that's something special to that prophet. Not everybody heard it. Just that prophet heard it and he came and then he delivers it to the people. In the New Testament, he speaks through the apostles, right? The apostles were the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament prophets and they wrote most of scripture. Paul was on that list. And then through some personal encounters, right? So uh, visions, dreams, research. Vision, dreams, research. So who, had, who was a well-known visionaire? Um, Daniel. So in Daniel chapter 8, the Lord appeared to Daniel, told him a vision, and gave him a vision of how, uh, what would happen to the kingdom that was ruling at that time and how the world would sort of play out, the end of the world would play out at that time. Uh, Joseph, dream dreams, Genesis 7. Joseph was a well-known uh, dreamer, right? How about, how about Luke? How did the book of Luke and the book of Acts, how was it written? Luke was somewhere, and the Lord came to him in a vision, and he said, Where, what, what did he do? Luke said, look, these things are of great importance. I, you know, I, we saw what Jesus began to see and to do, and I said, I myself, I must write a, an account of the things that happened. Right? Providence. And he wrote, and he wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of, of Acts. And in fact, um, there's, a, there's an interesting thing, because if Luke, was quote, Luke also is quoted in Scripture. So the book of Luke, Luke is quoted in another portion of Scripture we'll get to later on. So Luke's gospel, Luke's written work, it was research. Uh, it was considered Scripture. Uh, study. Have anybody read, really, really read the book of Hebrews well? Okay, not well, just one time. You've read the book of Hebrews. Does it seem like something, somebody was just in the room, he got some inspiration, and he just sort of wrote like that, just some nice, what does it feel like? You feel like you got some heavenly concordance, like side by side, Old Testament, new and Jesus and angels, Jesus and the priest, Jesus and, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's like a Bible study. It's like somebody's commentary, right? That's study, and yet that's part of Scripture. That's how um, God provides special revelation for us. So how did we actually then get the Scriptures? Of course, finally, the Word of God, uh, the Bible, is that final form of special revelation. How did we get the scripture? It seems like all the things I mentioned above, right? The visions, someone had a vision and then it was recorded that he had a vision, right? Somebody did what, dreamt something and it was recorded that he dreamt about it. Uh, a prophet prophesied, Moses prophesied, uh, and then they, tell jo they told Joshua, he said Joshua to start writing uh, these things. And Paul, Apostle Paul wrote letters to, uh, to, to churches through the hands of uh, a secretary, right? They called him Amanuensis, and then Onesimus, and, and they would write those letters uh, on, his, on his behalf. So it seemed like God revealed himself in all these special ways. Visions, dreams, uh, a voice from the, a direct voice to one person, but all these ways in which God revealed himself ended up being collated and collected in actual written documents, right? And that's how we, we ended up getting our scripture. 
Now, we try to differentiate between a personal encounter with God um, in which there was power, there was deliverance, but there was no communication of God's attributes. So if you're driving down the street and a trailer is coming at you on the road and you, you, know, you press the brake and you shout there, Jesus, 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 four times, not three, not seven, first four, odd number. It shouldn't work, right? You shout there, Jesus, 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 and for some reason the, car didn't, uh, the, the truck didn't hit you, you would say, you would, a lot of people would count that as, man, God, God showed himself mighty on my behalf today. Um, but there's no prepositional truth that comes along with that revelation, right? As opposed to a Moses uh, who, uh, who is passing by, sees a bush burning, and says, what's going on there? And in investigation, in that, in, in that discussion, was there any propositional truth? says, I am the self-existent one. I'm about to do this. I want you to do this. So we, we actually learn something of God from that encounter. And that's why those things are recorded for our benefit because they do something. They tell us something about who God is. And that also tells us that for a lot of us who have experiences, I, I mean, the myriad, I mean, we're different kinds of people uh, in, in, in Lagos, uh, Lagos Christians, and people have different kinds of experiences. God has delivered you from so many different things, from, from childbirth to something in the workplace to traffic, right? And a lot of people, you know, it's kind of nice to feel special that God paid attention to you, especially at that time. He revealed himself to you. In, he came to you in a direct, powerful way. And um, the tendency is for us, the temptation is for us to try and build a tent around that experience and say, this is what the Lord was using, was telling me in that circumstance. Whereas there was no propositional truth. God did not convey any new information about himself. right? So there's nothing to start a ministry over. And say, the Lord has called me to do something because I had this extraordinarily moving. Like it's, it's moving. It's powerful. It's, blessed, it's, a, it's a blessing to you. But you can't build a ministry around it. And you can't say, I, I found a new revelation. And church, you must receive this new message from the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord. We can't do that. So we got our scriptures, uh, we got the scriptures that we have. So the Bible, who has a Bible? I don't have a physical Bible. I have a, this Bible is what we're referring to as uh, scriptures, holy scriptures. It doesn't always have to come in nicely bound leather. Um, I know people say an electronic Bible is not a Bible. They don't know what they're talking about, <laughs> right? Um, it's the word of God. It's, that's what we're referring to as the culmination or the compilation of all these revelations of, that God had had uh, for, uh, for all humanity. And I've talked about all the different ways in which it was collected for us. Now, having collected all this, this scripture, now God had, had done all these marvelous things in the past. Uh, I mean, if you've read your Bible and you've seen, you've seen just magnificent stories in the, in the Old Testament, some crushing stories in the New Testament, Jesus' death and how the church was expanding, um, you see God's providence, you God's care, you see God's work through all the ages. So now, this voice of the Lord, this special voice, this special thing we have, what does he actually say to us? What does he actually have to say? So nature is saying its own, our consciences are telling us something else. What does this all tell us? Well, actually, Scripture tells us the story of God himself. Remember we said God wants to make himself known. He's relational. He wants to bring us into a relationship. There are many, many benefits for being in that relationship, but it's actually not about us. We are, we are 
I want to, I don't want to call it side players or were beneficiaries of a story that God is at the center of. So biblical history, we've, you've heard it here before. Uh, if you look at all of scriptures, you see God creating. So we have creation. You have man falling. Satan entered into a situation and caused us to fall. So you have creation. You have the fall. And then you have the beginning of the story of how God is trying to bring redemption to man. So creation, fall, redemption, and Christ uh, wrought his redemption on our behalf. And then we see the beginning of how we are being restored unto God. Now, there are many other sub-stories in there. So from Adam and Eve's innocence in the, in the, in the garden to serpents causing the fall to Cain and Abel showing us uh, individual wickedness to Noah's flood where there was a little bit of reset and a recap and a, a rescue of a, a small group of people. The Tower of Babel, we move from individual wickedness to communal rebellion and then the judgment that comes upon them uh, to Abraham and Jacob where God calls out a special family to the Exodus where God's not just family, a special people, a special nation have been carved out to the law and the prophets where we see God walking with man and giving his laws uh, to the incarnation of Christ where actually God came to walk with us amongst men to the cross of Calvary, where redemption and reconciliation is wrought to the church and its expansion, God's unique family across the ages, and then to the new creation and the restoration of all things. That's actually this great picture we see in the Bible. And all the things I talked about in the past, the, whether it is your sense of disconnect, your sense of lack of meaning, how you don't have a real identity, your confusion as to how your life should go, all of those things, all the unveiling of God's character, his attributes, his acts, his promises, in all the things I mentioned, provides answers to all the things that we desire or that, that troubles us in life. So it reveals the person of God, his character, his attributes. Uh, we've mentioned some things. Um, it, remember, it tells us who we are, who we are. Unfortunately, it's not all, all good news. The Bible is not all good news. There's the character of God. There's who we are, sinful rebels. Um, so on one hand, we're victims of Satan. On the other hand, we're not just victims. We're rebels too, right? It tells us where the source of our sorrows, Satan and, um, and, his, and, and, and the serpent, uh, exemplified in, in, by the serpent. We're told of the way of salvation, the possibility of a relationship with God. We're even told the that we have a foundation for doctrine. We have a foundation for truth, right? So if, you're, if, you're, if you are tossed to and fro, if you're... You hear the scientists, one theory today, and that one gives you another theory tomorrow. Uh, your conscience, sometimes it leads you right, sometimes it leads you astray. We're told that we actually have a foundation of doctrine in the Word of God. And, it, and then we learn that we have a basis for living an actual life uh, with the Lord. Which brings me to my last point. The blessings of special revelation. In... In, a, in, the, uh, in the book we read, in the book that Alayu uh, read, the psalmist says it, it refers to this revelation of God, this special revelation by several names, and it tells us some of the things it does for us. So in verse 6 to 11, it refers to it, first of all, as it says the law of God. What does the law of God do to us? It refreshes our soul. It says that the word of God is complete, right? It is perfect, it is complete. It has all it takes to revive anyone, whether you are dead or half dead, whether you've given up, whether it doesn't matter what state you are, the word of God is perfect. It can revive us from the empty way of life handed to us uh, by our fathers. It says God's statutes are trustworthy. It makes wise is simple. 
right? For those who, who, who cry out for the ability to make good decisions, decisions that honor the Lord. You're tired of, of everything you do. Every time you're, 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 you're in the evenings or you're in church, you are called to confess your sins, you can't believe how dumb some of the things you do, some of the things I do. Right? You can't, you can't, you've known it, you've heard it, you can't believe you fell into it again. The Word of God helps make wise and simple. But all the precepts of the Lord are right because they are correct. He gives correct advice. They are correct principles. He tells us the correct attitudes, and He gives joy to our heart. The Word of God banishes sorrow from us. It banishes anxiety. It banishes panic. It banishes depression. For all the people here who suffer from one form of uh, mental health disorder or the other, the comfort we have is that in addition to any kind of support, any kind of assistance, you'll be getting professional, that the Word of God, if you immerse yourself in the Word of God, you will get relief. You will get comfort. You will get encouragement. You will find your joy again. And that quest for joy begins as we immerse ourselves in God's Word um, time and time over. It calls it the commands of God. It gives light to our eyes. A special revelation is radiant. It banishes darkness. We won't stumble. Uh, we won't stumble from pillar to post. Um, we will be able to walk the straight path, the narrow way, without falling over the edge, falling over the cliff. The cliff. It says the fear of the Lord endures forever. It is pure. It endures forever. There's no contamination. There's no adulteration. Um, it won't spoil with age. We can trust that this thing will lead you to eternity. It says the decrees of the Lord are altogether righteous. The, re the divine revelation is firm. is unalterable. Uh, it is righteous. God's word is valuable for us. He says that it is more precious than refined treasure. Whatever it is you and I could possess, it is much, much more precious than it. And he asks us to come and find our delight in it. God's word protects us. God's word rewards us. If we live by this word, if we honor it and, and expose our heart, expose our conscience, expose our mind to it on a consistent basis, um, will be refined, will be pleasing to the Lord. And so if you're looking for all these things that it mentions, refreshing of your soul, you're looking for decisions that honor the Lord, you're looking for joy, you don't know, you've misplaced your joy, you don't know where you found it. It's not in the upper drawer, it's not in your portmanteau, right? We can find it in, uh, in, in the Lord. Now, the goal of God's revelation, I'm closing, is found, the whole point of this is that we all, can experience God's renewal. God has a plan to bring sinners to himself, to reconcile them to himself, to bring them not just to the status they were before they fell, much higher than that. Because what God, what God is restoring us to is not to the image. God is not restoring humanity to the image of Adam, right? He's restoring us to the image of who? Christ, Christ the greater Adam. So it's not so much that we're looking back to get into the Garden of Eden. As much as we're trying to, we're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we're looking to be conformed to, we're looking to experience here on earth, not just when we get to heaven, here on earth, to begin to experience life as he lived it. His submission to the Father, his joy in doing the Father's will, his joy in loving people and having compassion on people and in living a life that is resolute in doing the will of the Father. And then when we're done with this life, when we're done with this life, to go and be with him and to have a body like him and live with him. Praise the Lord. Its goal is to renew the entire man. God wants to have 
a relationship with us. God is seeking to talk to us on a regular basis. However, God's revelation is not just something that we would take and say um, because of, all, because of all, all of its wonderful qualities. It's not something that is given to us to try and make us a moral person. So we just don't take God's word and say, follow it. We don't take God's word and find all the, maybe some of the scientific details in it and try and turn it into a book of science. And then we have arguments with um, scientists about intelligent, intelligent design and creation and things like that. That's not primarily what it does. It's not our job to be getting into arguments or debates about you know, whether you know, the earth is, wasn't round or we thought the earth was round or wasn't round. It's not, it's not designed to be a science textbook. It's not designed for us to uh, engage in rationalistic arguments. It's also not designed for us to have these uh, religious emotions, this mystic life. Because that's how some people use the word of God, right? It has many things that are wonderful to ponder. And rather than actually engaging with God's word the way we should, what we use is we use it to boil up our emotion, to, to look for the mysteries and things that are, some things are written plainly, you are meant to wonder at what is revealed and then ask yourself how you submit to the Lord's uh, commands, how you actually live your life unto the Lord as opposed to looking for some mystic emotions. And ultimately, ultimately, when we then talk about all these limits, we also then see the limit of special revelation. The end of it all, God having spoken to us in diverse means, showed visions, showed dreams, collected it together, given it to us scripture, there's still something we needed uh, to see. This is something we need to encounter. And that is God's supreme revelation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the coming of Jesus Christ, all the things that we've seen, all the things that God has done for us, we wouldn't fully comprehend. We wouldn't fully understand. It wouldn't actually be complete. And that's what we hope that at the end of the series, we'll touch on the supreme revelation of God. But for now, let us bow our heads and give thanks to our God and the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. The whole story of God culminates in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The whole story, the whole specialness, the whole uniqueness ends in this unique son of God. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.